Boy, if that doesn't get your blood going, huh? Then that's wake-up music. That's the band Enigma. You can hear them in and around southeast Nebraska. And sometimes you'll actually see in tow, as they say, their photographer, my buddy right over here, Jim Shorty. How are you, Jim? Yeah, I, otherwise known as the guy with the camera. Except this morning. Except this morning, I didn't bring my camera. So. Well, I've got an iPhone that we can I can hand that to you with a camera thing, and you just see that they touch don't know and, that I can take pictures so. through the microphone of people that are listening. So, how's your week been? Pretty good. I'm I'm battling kind of an upper back problem. So, you know, as we get older, we all get together and talk about our aches and pains and ailments. <laughs> and uh, Hey, we've got a great show today. We've got um, Charlene coming up with mm-hmm. Capital Humane Society and Pet Talk. And then Rosemary Ellen Guiley, we're going to want to call her on the second number on the cell phone. Okay. And then we've got main guests. We've got Reverend Dr. Valerie Putnam, and she's the interim pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church, and Reverend Dr. Jimmy Shelbourne mm-hmm. from Westminster. And we're going to be talking about prescient dreams as I like to say, hope, faith, and a prayer or two. This is our Christmas show, our pre-Christmas show, so a hearty Merry Christmas from all of us here at KZUM and the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena show to you and yours out there. I hope that you've had a great week so far, a great month, a great year. Uh, Have you folks ever heard about a, a series of prayers that are called Gratitude? I'm in the middle of a 30-day posting on my Facebook page of some gratitude prayers. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to really connect with the source, which I believe is God or the Creator, for all my abundance and prosperity and all my blessings in my life. And so I have that theme every day that, uh, that I'm grateful for that. And what better month to give thanks for that than in December and, and right before Christmas here. If you want to join me, it's very simple. Uh, you can just take uh, uh, my example, my Facebook page if you want to, or you can craft your own. And the, th- the theory is, is when you say something with meaning and conviction for 30 to 40 days, you form a synapse, a response in the subconscious, and it starts to make a connection that's very, very deep within your being. So... Uh, if you'd like to join me in that 30 days of gratitude, heck, we can go 31 or 32 days. You're sure welcome to. I'm Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And let's go to our first guest. We've got Charlene on the phone with the Capital Humane Society. And this is Pet Talk. Hi, Charlene. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. What is new at the Capital Humane Society? Uh, we've got a lot of animals looking for a great home. We're going to be open today, so we hope that people will consider coming in and finding a companion that's just perfect for them. Okay, and we've got um, Christmas decorations that people can uh, basically purchase as a donation, and I did this week. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That's awesome. And so tell us a little bit about that, what happens there. We had, uh, actually, I think we may have sold out. We had um, holiday balls. I know. And it's thanks to very generous and kind people like you. We had holiday balls to decorate our trees. Um, We have one at each location. And each one helped us to um, give a microchip to one of our animals in the adoption program. So, again, we are so grateful for people just like you who help us out. We've got... uh 
pets for adoption today, we want to again stress that don't give a pet without clearance up, down, and sideways. It's better uh-huh. to give a gift mm-hmm. certificate because you may have somebody in a rental unit that uh, with all good intentions, you give the gift of a pet, and then suddenly you find out, you know, the landlord says no. So, right. Um, let's start with kittens for adoption, and boy, we've got some great cats for adoption, don't we? There are some cuties. We're going to start with Boots. And Boots is laying really relaxed in his big, comfy bed. (laughs) Black and white, about eight months old. Just a young little guy, neutered male. An awesome little kitten looking for an awesome family. He'll love to have fun, and he'll be so entertaining. Okay, these boots are made for walking, and he'd Uh love to walk into a cat carrier and go home with you. And he's got that exquisitive... What do you think he's thinking about, Jim? Look at that expression. What's for lunch? Uh-huh. <laughs> want to play? Yep. <laughs> you want me to do what? <laughs> Boots. Take a look at his picture on capitalhumanesociety.org. You can follow along. Boots is joined by... Next up is Jenkins. And he's about two years old, a neutered male, a very big boy. Um, mostly orange tabby with some white. He is front declawed, so he's looking for an indoor-only home where he's nice and safe. And he's very engaging when you go up to say hello, so he'll be quick to be your best friend. Well, that looks like a calendar portrait. Yeah. Isn't that a great yeah. shot? Yeah, that's one of our wonderful volunteers who took yeah, that picture. Yeah, I love that picture. Beautiful cat. You know, two cats are better than one. I adopted years ago Jasmine and Sananda. And they were great housemates and playmates. So we've got Boots, Jenkins, but wait, because there's... Next up is Georgina. And she's two years old, a spade female, has short hair, uh, orange tabby markings. And she had surgery on her eyes, so they're a little bit shaved. They look mm. a little funny there. <laughs> I was just going to say, boy, that's interesting eyebrow uh, yeah, yeah, eyebrows on that cat. <laughs> Yeah, but she's really, she's healing fine. She's in great spirits, and she's ready to find a warm and wonderful home. Looks like she's alert and engaged and uh, Uh ready to go. Yep. Another beautiful cat. We're at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. We've just looked at Boots, Jenkins, and Georgina. If you'd like to go um, in person and look at these great cats, um, Charlene, how can they do that? Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. We are open on Saturday and Sunday from 12, oh, excuse me, from, uh, oh, I'm just looking at the wrong one there, from 11, from 11 to uh, 5.30. Sorry about that. Um, but we do have some special holiday hours, so you'll want to remember that we will be closed on Christmas and New Year's Day. Okay, we've got now dogs for adoption. And uh, I love the picture, the Facebook meme going around it. That showed a dog holding a little sign saying, uh, Santa, leave treats, take cat. <laughs> the German Shepherd was holding that in his mouth. Fun. So we've got uh, dogs for adoption. Who do we start with? We're going to start with Major. And he's got a really cute little face. He's about a year old, a bulldog mix. He weighs about 55 pounds. Um, He is a very exuberant guy, loves to have fun, uh, needs an experienced owner who can work with him because of his high energy level. Um, He is looking for a home with no children, and he needs to meet other dogs. But he just has a face he can fall in love with, and we know someone's out there that'll be his perfect match. He's got a face made for you. Yes. 
That's right. Take a look at Major's picture. And what happens when they click on the icon? Does that then open up and it gives a, a, a more detailed description? Right. Yep. So okay. there'll be more, yeah, more information about his specific needs. CapitalHumaneSociety.org. We just looked at Major. Who's next? Next up is Ryder. And Ryder is a five-year-old Cocker Spaniel. Uh, he's a great, happy little dog you can see in his photo. He's just got a big old smile on his face, <laughs> looking for a home where he'll get proper training and exercise and care. Um, if you're looking for a medium-sized dog with a lot of energy, ask about Ryder. And, of course, that great Doris tune, Riders in the Storm, just went through my mind. Right. So you could have your buddy Ryder and enjoy the first snowstorm um, or a uh, uh, rainstorm, rather, and you could say Riders in the Storm. So Ryder, R-Y-D-E-R, <clears throat> you can click on his picture for more details. We've got Major, Ryder, and... Tippy. And Tippy's a little chihuahua, about a year old, a neutered male, very much on the shy side until he gets to know you. Then he wants to be right next to you, wants to be a great little sidekick. Uh, so someone who is patient and experienced will make a great friend for Tippy. Hey, hey, Tippy, uh, show us your ears, would you? <laughs> Those radar antenna ears. Okay, three great dogs, Major, Ryder, and Tippy. Pictures are up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And uh, there's also that wonderful dog, Baby Girl, that's been out there for uh, almost approaching a year now. And we'd love to have somebody this holiday season uh, adopt this great dog that's just waiting for the right family. So take a look also at the picture of Baby Girl. And Charlene, again, what are hours open today and tomorrow? We are open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. Okay, I, I want to thank you very much for all you do, Bob and all the crew out there, for helping so many of us um, connect with dogs and cats for adoption and uh, bring these new members of our family home. We've, uh, we've enjoyed the relationship, Charlene, with you for many, many years, and uh, I wish you a very Merry Christmas. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas, too, and we're very grateful for all your kind support. Okay, we will talk to you, um, gosh, I can't say next year. It'll be a week from now. Yeah. Sounds good. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society, uh, make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn, and next up is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And Rosemary, where do we find you at this wonderful morning? We are in one of my favorite cities, Salem, Massachusetts. Where else cool. to celebrate Christmas? And what are you doing with Joe in Salem, Massachusetts? Well, believe it or not, Scott, this is a rare weekend for me. It's strictly R&R. Wow. Well-deserved well break, I guess. <laughs> I know, but we can't help but mix a little business in with it, you know. Uh, but, uh, yes, we uh, are just here to enjoy the ambience. And Salem is a much different town uh, once you get past the Halloween season. It returns to uh, what we would call a level of normalcy, such as how <laughs> live in Salem. And uh, you don't have to fight your way through mobs of people. Mm. We have... Uh, just been entertaining ourselves at the most exquisite museum called the Nightmare Gallery. 
which is a fabulous display of horror films. Uh, is Charlene, we just talked with her with Pet Talk. We wished her well. And Rosemary, right up front, I want to talk with you also and say that I was trying to think of how many years I've known you now. Was it 1982? Well, oh. No, yeah, 84? It goes back I, somewhere in the 80s. Uh, it goes back a long time. What is that? 30, I know, isn't that wonderful? 30-some years. I think I met you when you were about five. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, I was barely able to pick up a pencil and write at that point, but I already had books in my head. And speaking of books, I have the greatest of admiration for you, uh, young lady, because you can put the pen to paper like nobody else. Uh, I've lost count. Is it? It's over 60 books, isn't it? Uh, it is. And uh, I should do another tally because I'm probably at uh, 68 or 69 now uh, with lost in or time slips in or slip, slips in space and time, which is coming out in January. Uh, we'll probably make, I think, 69. Yeah, and not only that, you've got a publishing company now. So you've got VisionaryLivingPublishing.com. VisionaryLivingPublishing.com. And a whole host of authors coming forward through that through that venue. Well, in fact, Scott, while I was thinking about what I wanted to mention on my segment today, um, one of the things that I'm emphasizing now, and I, I did a little bit in the past, but I'm really hitting it now, uh, is um, a transformation in the paranormal investigating community. Uh, we've had a couple of decades now of uh, just a lot of investigations and uh, a lot of teams and people trying things out. And um, we're all ready in the field now for what I call renaissance investigating. And um, this means being becoming a renaissance man or woman, um, the model of which during the renaissance was somebody who was well-educated on a variety of fronts, not just one. And that we need to be well-versed in related fields to the paranormal in order to uh, grasp the big picture. A lot of the experiencers that investigators come into contact with uh, have had mysterious creature sightings. They've had um, UFO encounters. They've had mystical experiences, perhaps with angelic beings. And these are pieces of the puzzle that can't be ignored. And so I'm really emphasizing that. I've been talking about it in lectures, and uh, Visionary Living uh, is publishing books along those lines. We had uh, Watch Out for the Hallway, uh, which came out last uh, fall with by Joey and Tanya Medea. Great about book. How wow. they conducted. Thank you, and thank you for having them on the show. It's a classic casebook uh, example of conducting, especially a long-term investigation mm -hmm. and how they set everything up and how they documented it. And then in March, I have another book along a similar vein coming out by Greg Lawson, who's a, um, a former police officer. He has a background in criminal investigation. And this is how to be a paranormal detective. And it's all about uh, taking the best of criminal investigation and law enforcement uh, techniques and moving them into the paranormal. Uh, and I think it's things like this that will move paranormal uh, at least part of the field, uh, in, into uh, 
I should say, onto a level where uh, it's not just, hey, we got a ghost here. Uh, let's collect endless EVP. Um, and uh, in, in other words, tr- trying to make some meaning out of what's going on mm-hmm. within the broader context of mm-hmm. how human beings are experiencing unusual phenomena. In, in a part, too, this is certainly going to help the, <clears throat> the level of, of training that people uh, need and that many, many lack who watch a series of uh, uh, ghost investigation reality shows and then buy a couple of pieces of quote-unquote equipment and then say, I'm a ghost hunter, I'm a ghost investigator. And all they have background is TV. (laughs) Sadly, it's the case. There are many fine investigators out there, um, especially some who've been at it quite some time. Uh, But paranormal reality TV, for better or for worse, has the field and yeah. um, that has a downside too you know I'm often asked to evaluate videos and photographs mm-hmm. and uh, when, when I see a, a video where uh, the effects are fairly obviously staged and then at some point everybody off camera erupts into horrible screaming I mean it's just a giveaway uh, and if, if that is the case, that you're going to erupt into horrible screaming during an investigation. You have no business investigating. Mm-hmm. I, I like the analogy of the Renaissance man. Uh, it, in my mind, goes back to some of the work um, that was pioneered by Charles Fort, F-O-R-T, where he took a look at a number of broad aspects of phenomena. Uh, and I, kinda, yeah. I, I liken that example to holding, as I talk to somebody, holding up my hand and I say, you know, I've got five digits on my my right hand that I'm holding up here. And they're all uh, separate, but they all connect to a common place. They all share something uh, where they connect here. And it's been my sense from doing this stuff since 1974 that we do have a lot of those connections. And if a person just looks at one tightly, narrowly defined area of the paranormal, they miss all those other connections and possibilities. That's very true, and it happens in other fields, too. I especially have noticed it in ufology, where a lot of ufologists really don't want to consider what's happening in the paranormal arena or the cryptid arena or the what we would call extraordinary experience. It would be NDEs, Mm -hmm. OBEs, um, encounters with uh, beings who aren't classed as extraterrestrials. And uh, this is to the detriment of research because uh, the researcher, investigator, uh, then is cut off from a lot of very valuable information. So I've been pleased over the years to see more and more people become multifaceted. And uh, I actually started using the term Renaissance investigator uh, a few years ago. And I feel now the time is right to really push this concept because uh, the more serious investigators and researchers realize that there is a bigger picture, that there's a lot out there that needs to be taken into account, um, even if we have a favorite area. This is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and I'm going to give you two websites. Um, her personal website is visionaryliving.com, and as a book publisher of renown with some great, great new authors, it's visionaryliving.com publishing.com. 
This is a month that, that I've been thinking about miracles, Rosemary. And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but can you think of a, a miracle story from your files that you can share with our audience? Well, a lot of those would fall into the angel category, mm-hmm. and I've included those in a couple of books that I've done. One is called uh, Christmas Angels, True Stories of Hope and Healing, and the other is called Calling Upon Angels, How Angels Help Us in Daily Life. And they involve stories of uh, what we call the mysterious stranger, people who are miraculously rescued from a crisis situation. Uh, and it could be even emotional crisis as well as a physical crisis by uh, an outside agent that has the appearances of being otherworldly. And we would class these as miracles because it's something that seems to come from the hand of God, from out of nowhere, uh, the divine. And uh, we can't account for it. And uh, even more importantly, uh, if we think it's been a a real person who's helped us rather than some angelic being in in the form and shape of a person, in the guise of a person, uh, we can't find them afterwards uh, to, to thank them or ask them any questions, anything like that. And here again, I think we need to uh, talk about reevaluating our uh, attitudes towards things. Um, in the West, we often associate miracles with the hand of God. This is how God shows his covenant with humanity by providing uh, occasional instances that uh, remind us and reinforce that uh, we do have a relationship with the divine. Whereas in the Eastern view, miracles are considered more of a natural order, and that uh, if you connect with the natural order, if you're in the flow with the forces of everything that's part of the natural order, if you elevate your consciousness and your uh, your spiritual mind, then you're going to be in the flow of miraculous energy that uh, starts to occur more frequently and in little ways as well as big ways. And I think that's an important lesson for us in the West that uh, we shouldn't look at miracles as something that God occasionally does to visit us with a favor, but rather it's a force and a power that is available to us through the divine that we can learn to cultivate. Rosemary, again, thank you for all that you've done for us over the years and my association with you. Uh, Thank you so much for being part of our team here on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Uh, And before I let you go, uh, what's just a thumbnail sketch of what you're doing in 2019? Well, the next time we speak, I will be at an event called Alien Snowfest in Big Bear Lake, California, second annual conference like this, UFO-oriented. And from there out, I have a pretty full schedule. We'll be in England in March. We have a cruise oh, cool. coming up in September. A cruise? Wow. Uh, a cruise in the Caribbean. And um, uh, we have various uh, paranormal conferences in the Midwest, Michigan, the West Coast. We'll be in Seattle all of July uh, doing events. And I'm doing a mix of uh, topics, as I usually do. So I've got uh, most of these posted on my event page at visionaryliving.com. Good. And do you still have the newsletter that people can sign up for? I do, yes. And, in fact, it just went out last week. uh, And um, I talked about some of these upcoming events. 
I get it out most every month. Um, I think I did skip November. Uh, it was either October or November. And we, just, we just got swamped under. <laughs> but it usually comes out every month in the uh, around the first week of the month. Okay, Rosemary, uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, my very best to you and Joe. And thank you. And uh, happy holidays to you, Scott, and everyone on the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena team. Uh, I love working with you and look forward to the new year. I'll talk to you next year, next year young lady. Okay, Scott. Bye. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, her two websites, visionaryliving.com and visionarylivingpublishing.com. Uh, Lon says hello and happy holidays. And Lon, right back at you. Uh, Merry Christmas, or as the British say, um, Happy Christmas to you as well. I'm Scott Colborn. We're going to take our bottom of the hour break, refill our coffee mugs, and then we've got some uh, great guests in the studio here, Reverends Dr. Valerie Putnam and Jimmy Shelbourne. And we're going to be talking about prescient dreams, and I think you're going to enjoy the program. Stay tuned. We've got more exploring Unexplained Phenomena, right after this. the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council, helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 402-436- 2384. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model back. 
My bigger brother's name is Ray, and Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Colborn, Jim Shorty, Colleen Newholly. Let's see if I can get Colleen up here. There you go. Colleen, hello. Yeah, good morning. It's great to have you here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I always enjoy coming back. Um, it's, it's kind of my hobby. Because <laughs> we're always so glad to see you. Boy, look at look at the board now. I get to punch just all yeah, these buttons. We, we got a full house here. And just move them all up now. I, <laughs> you guys have each got a color-coded microphone here. Yeah. Uh, we've got some great guests in the studio, and I've asked their indulgence just for a couple of minutes to share with you folks a story that was recounted to me on Thursday by Rick Crozier. Uh, I've known Rick since uh, 1968, and uh, he and I are old Southeast High School classmates. So we met for lunch, and I, I didn't know this until I walked in and Rick told me the story. Um, last summer, he and his wife, Patricia, were coming down Highway 77, going to make a turn onto a graveled road, a flatbed semi behind them. The guy was apparently in some other's place and at highway speed ran into the back of their car. Um, Rick had pictures of the car or what's left of the car. Incredible. In the back seat, they had two golden retrievers. And the car was hit as they were making the turn. Luckily, the car was not going straight because if, if they had been going straight and the truck hit them, they would have been like a croquet ball pushed right into oncoming traffic on Highway 77. As it was, they spun around and went off the road. And they sat there in a daze. A woman ran up and started praying for them. A deputy sheriff showed up and said, you guys hold on, we're gonna get you out of here. <laughs> and by the way, you should be dead. The whole back of the car, all the way up to their seats, was was gone. Um, where the two dogs were, the dogs were okay. They extracted part of the, the grill from the semi from the back seat of their car where the dogs had been. Um, had both seats in the car 
nut broken, they would have been crushed by the dash, by the front of the car coming up to them as this car was accordioned. Um, they were taken to the hospital. Uh, they had some fractured vertebrae. And then being released, Rick developed a severe staph infection as a result of this accident. And they went into <coughs> surgery. The doctor said, you know, Patricia, this is really serious, and Rick may not make it. Uh, he may lose, lose his leg. Uh, if we can save his leg, there's going to be extensive skin grafting. Um, so he was able to keep his leg, and there was no grafting at all required. So the guy that I, I met Thursday was a living, walking miracle. And so uh, perhaps for the uh, program today, I'm doing the best I can to try to maintain composure here. Um, Rick said, you know, Scott, are you, uh, are you good with the Lord? Because when something like this happens, you don't have the chance to say a prayer, to ask for forgiveness, to do any of that <clears throat> necessary work, because it all happens so fast. So he says, life is so fleeting that we've got to be on, on the good side of the Lord. So his story is a um, personal example of a miracle with a capital M. And I think we humans, we get so dulled by our existence. We look around and we miss these incredible things going on around us. Rick and Patricia should have been dead. The, the entire back window of the car, all the glass, of course, had shattered from this truck, but there was no glass inside the car. And Rick said that he believed an angel spread his wings and kept the glass out of the car. No glass at all in the car. Um, they had planned to stop for gasoline before they dropped these dogs off to the, to the county vet. Had they done so, there would have been 14 gallons of gas that would have been showered and drenched everybody in the car. With the car running and the sparks, you can imagine what would have happened. As it was, they were almost empty, and that kept the car from catching on fire. So this is the holiday season. We can look around and see that, that there are small M and big M miracles. And uh, I invite you to take just a moment today and reflect upon how grateful you are, and we all are, for being here. This is Scott Colborn. I'll be right back right after this. be 
Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. It's sure great to have you here. Merry Christmas to one and all. And with me in the studio is Reverend Dr. Valerie Putnam, the interim pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church, and the associate pastor, Jimmy Shelbourne, Reverend Dr. Shelbourne. And Jimmy's been on the show before, and apparently you came back because... I like you, Scott. <laughs> so he's the one. <laughs> yeah, we 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 had uh, you know I, I think I posted that link. We had Jimmy and and Andrew McDonald here mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, and enjoyed their, and the year before, and enjoyed their conversation a whole Very bunch. Much so yeah. So Jimmy, you approached me with um, an idea for the show. Sure. And you said. Um, because of the time of year and because of our interest on the program about dreams, you said, why don't we do a program about prescient dreams? Right. And well, they're, they're part and parcel of the Christmas story, uh, particularly in Matthew, but they're also part and parcel of uh, several critical points of the biblical narrative going back into Genesis. So um, I think we'll explore some of those biblical things. And then I have a an experience of a prescient dream that I want to share along mm-hmm. the line here. Um, when, when it, it's a little intimidating talking to you about dreams because I know that you've studied dream interpretation with Dr. Janet Lindgren. I've been blessed. Who is, yes. I believe, a, a Jungian uh, analyst. Yes. And, um, and so uh, you probably know way more than I do about uh, dreams in general, but uh, wanting to focus more on uh, dreams that seem to have foreknowledge uh, with them. And is that a definition of that word prescient? Prescient. It comes from pre-scient. And science, of course, means knowledge, and pre is before. So it's prescient is pre-scient. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 it seems to uh, give you a hint of something that's, that hasn't happened, but, and you could not possibly know that it was going to happen through the five senses. Mm-hmm. So it is, in that sense, extrasensory. You know, a lot of dreams are just assemblages of the subconscious. I think as you sleep, the, the conscious mind is gone uh, to, to sleep with you, and, and so the subconscious gets active. And um, then it tries to make sense of recent events. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have a dream, and it, it kind of reassembles the last day or two, but suddenly there in your dream is somebody you went to high school with 50 years ago uh, acting through the events of yesterday. And you know that's quite impossible, but anyway, uh, a lot of those dreams are uh, uh, 
interesting um, and, and may have uh, certain meanings. I dreamed last night that I was riding a bicycle in front of my uh, um, grandson's uh, house, his parents' house, and um, as I was riding along on the bicycle, I don't even have a bicycle, not anymore. But I, as uh, the youngest Jack came out and was running alongside the bike with me, and I looked down as, as he's running, and there he had the worst haircut I've ever seen on a little boy. <laughs> and in the dream, I wanted to get off the bike and run and, and ask who gave him this haircut. <laughs> well, now, I don't want to go there. Who gave I, that? I don't. I don't know that that dream has uh, a lot of meaning. Um, uh, and it, it's kind of like those dreams. Um, if I hadn't. If I hadn't shared it with you, I wouldn't probably remember it uh, because they kind of, like us, fl uh, fly uh, as forgotten as dreams die at the opening of day, you know, and you don't remember them unless you write them down or you rehearse them with someone. Mm -hmm. But um, prescient dreams are, are dreams that uh, are more memorable, I think, simply because uh, they seem to be a precursor to something that's going to happen. And I, I don't think that because something's been dreamed about in the future, that it becomes a blueprint of immutable fate. Um, I, I like uh, how Charles Dickens treated Scrooge's mm. dreams uh, in uh, A Christmas Carol. And um, in the, as, as Scrooge is interacting with the uh, ghost of Christmas future, uh, and sees very foreboding things. Uh, he, he, he implores the uh, spirit. Uh, he said, uh, spirit, are these shadows of what may be or shadows of what must be? Well, we know how Dickens must have come down on that question because uh, Scrooge awakens and none of the things he dreamed about in future pr uh, Christmases come true because he reforms, mm -hmm. he changes, he, he, he finds a way to move off where he had been and, uh, in, in essence, repent and turn around. Metanoia mm -hmm. is, the, uh, is the word for that. Uh, and he, he turns around, and, and um, so because uh, he turns around, then everything changes uh, and it becomes hopeful. Mm -hmm. Tiny Tim does not die. And uh, Scrooge is as good as his word. And he gives Bob Cratchit a raise, you know. And, and he also shows up to his uh, Uncle Fred's Christmas dinner. <laughs> and uh, so I want to come down on, on the idea that um, a prescient dream might also warn you of something that might happen rather than something that will happen. Well, and let me ask you both, Jimmy and, and Valerie, uh, may I use, by the way, your first names? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you okay with that? Val. Okay, uh, as a, I lean towards the Jungian interpretation of dreams, and so I believe that these dreams, that guidance comes from the divine. I can have dreams that are a result of pepperoni pizza too late at night, mm -hmm. um, gastric upset. I can have dreams because of some daily stuff that I've been involved in. But some of these dreams that, um, that cause you to sit back in your seat or, or 
really reflect upon that when you wake up. I believe those are messages from the divine. Would you would you agree or disagree or? Yeah, and you know, I think God is the universal mind. So Val, weigh in on that. Well, I certainly do. Um, how does God speak to us? And it says in scripture that God speaks through dreams. Does that not happen today to us as sure. well? And if so, how? You know, sometimes more violently, sometimes gently. I was visiting with a Jungian therapist after having a couple of episodes of cancer. And I God shared with him that I was having some pretty violent dreams. Gosh, they were traumatic. And he explained post-traumatic stress and that God is speaking of letting you know the violence that's there that has attacked you, but that it will be okay. In the end, there was hope. So I believe it is God's way of of working with you, letting you know that there is hope, mm. but something deep is going on that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm a cancer survivor too. Bless you. Yeah, bless you. Mm. Well, if we go back to... Um, um, Genesis 28, uh, by, by the way, um, the, the great Led Zeppelin song, Stairway to Heaven, is based on Jacob's dream in, in Genesis 28. Really? When, well, you know the story, I hope you do, um, but may, maybe a lot of listeners don't, but uh, Jacob and Esau were twins, and um, Esau was the eldest, elder, rather, <coughs> My 10th grade English teacher just got on my shoulder and corrected my grammar. She does that a lot. (laughs) Mrs. Stutzman, bless her heart. Broken bow. Anyway, the elder brother. And uh, Jacob was a cheater, and he cheated his brother Esau out of his inheritance and then cheated his brother Esau out of their father Isaac's final blessing. And so naturally Esau uh, had murderous intent. And so Jacob runs away, and uh, he gets as far as uh, uh, a place that eventually is known as Bethel, and he, um, he must have been under a lot of distress, Scott, Jim, because do you know what he chose for a pillow? A rock. A rock. Now, wow. I don't know. I, that, that's, that's a strange pillow, but he chose well, a rock. I've kind of done that, but it's just because I've been tired. Yeah. <laughs> and he has... And he has a dream while he's uh, sleeping on this rock, and he sees a ladder or a stairway into heaven and angels coming up and down it. And then within the dream, God promises to be with him, to keep him, and to bring him back home one day. Now, it took several decades of being on, on flight, and that's a whole other story. But, you know, Jacob wakes up with, with renewed hope because God has made a promise for the future. And... And uh, I would call that a prescient dream in that Mm. uh, God made a promise to Jacob within that dream, and the promise came true. In the future, it did come true. So uh, I I think a lot of of these dreams do come from God. They don't have to even come to a person of faith um, because we have the the story in uh, Matthew um, during Jesus' trial um, before Pilate which, of course, ends in his crucifixion. And the wife of Pontius Pilate comes to him during the hearing and, say, and says, have nothing to do with this man because I had a dream about him. And P- 
Pilate didn't listen to his wife. That was the one that I, I remembered from my scripture that I, I couldn't find he last did, night on my search. He did not he did not listen to his wife, and therefore he becomes perhaps the most uh, uh, vilified. Vilified. Thank you for the word. Vilified human being ever to grace this earth. Was he the first guy that didn't listen to his wife? Probably. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> Not hardly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not hardly. But I think I think Val and I uh, kind of want to get, um, if if uh, we can call that our opening, I, I, we, uh, to get to the meat of it, because it is about Christmas. I think we we want to discuss uh, the dreams that uh, make up part of the Christmas story. Val. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go. Let's go back to Jacob's dream. Oh, you know, okay. That sure. Ladder. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful story. You know, this Jacob was distraught. And God comforted him with a dream. But you know that rock that you were saying, you know, that he put under his head? And that was his Ebenezer. And so when I raise my Ebenezer, he sets it up Mm -hmm. and he calls it then the house of God. And it becomes Bethel, Mm -hmm. the house of God. And he comes back to that point, the house of God. Mm -hmm. He knew that dream was that significant. When he stands that rock up, his Ebenezer. Mm-hmm. So when I raise my Ebenezer. Yeah, know. a lot of people sing that in a hymn and they don't even have the slightest idea what we're talking about. Yeah, Ebenezer, that's, that's Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> He's already been in our discussion, though. But going to the Christmas story, I have a question. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Jimmy, why the is gospel it writer chooses? that the angel gave um, I think that please. Matthew likes to report the vision in terms of dream, whereas Luke Luke um, prefers not to use the word dream. Perhaps Mary's appearance by Gabriel was a dream as well. Um, but he doesn't mm-hmm. like to use um, he doesn't like to use the word dream. Uh, he you know uh, Luke, the gospel writer, who give, gives us uh, the Gospel of Luke, is also the author of the Acts of the Apostles. It's a two-volume set. In fact, the beginning of Acts even says, in the first volume I talked about the works of Jesus. Now I'm going to talk about the works of his followers, you know, basically. And uh, in, in Acts 10, we have uh, a scene where um, the Apostle Peter has gone to Joppa, and he's up on a up on the rooftop, Simon Peter, pause. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's up on the rooftop uh, praying uh, at midday, and it's warm, and he asks for some food. And Luke says he fell into a trance. And then he has this vision that the upchuck of it is that basically um, the the church is, is going to be a church for Gentiles as well as uh, God's people, the Jews. And so it changed the course of uh, Christian mission, but um, it. But Luke Luke was hesitant about calling it a dream. He calls it a trance. A trance. Yeah, and uh, um, yeah, and and I I, I just think that uh, sometimes uh, Luke is a, is a little hesitant about using the word dream. So I'm not sure sometimes uh, that um, what. What is uh, re- the way it's reported may be uh, as significant as uh, the incident because we are getting secondhand, secondhand reporting on all these 
Let's take a short break here for the top of the hour here, and we'll be right back with conversation. Uh, this is Reverend Dr. Valerie Putnam, Reverend Dr. Jimmy Shelbourne from Westminster Presbyterian Church. And uh, westminsterlincoln.org is the website, and you'll find a full range of activities there, including the Christmas Eve services um, at 3, 5, 7, and 9 o'clock. Um, and maybe when we come back, I can ask these folks between Sunday and Monday how many services they're, they're getting ready for here. <laughs> uh, I'm Scott Colborn. Uh, Coley Newholly is with us and uh, Jim Shorney. You guys and gals out there, we sure appreciate our relationship with you. And please stay tuned for more conversation on our pre-Christmas show. We'll be right back after this. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. Don't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas. Be the bread to our ginger. Support KZUM with a year-end gift before January 1st to keep building on the momentum we've created together in 2018. Making one last contribution this year gets KZUM's new fiscal year rolling, sustaining programs like this that you tune in for every week. Plus, we have some incredible limited thank you gifts that any stocking would be thrilled to be stuffed with. Check them out and make your contribution by December 31st at KZUM.org. Support for KZUM comes from the Haymarket Farmer's Market. Thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Coolborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, our pre-Christmas show, and we are sure grateful that you're out there. Uh, I've reflected back privately over the, the last 34 plus years and what an incredible ride this has been. And a lot of you have been there for almost the whole journey, too. If you're a new arrival, we do this radio show every Saturday morning. We also have a, a free archive website, so today's broadcast 
will be up there free of charge in about a week. It's kzum.org slash EUP. Today's guests are Reverend Doctors Valerie Putnam and Jimmy Shelbourne from Westminster Presbyterian Church. And our program theme today is Prescient Dreams. Okay, where were we before that break? Well, I was just uh, <clears throat> explaining that um, perhaps the differences between uh, Matthew and Luke on the topic of uh, whether dreams are part of the narrative seems uh, to me to have uh, to do with uh, th- the choice of the gospel writer's words uh, in, in presenting the, the narrative. And I noted that uh, Peter had a vision in Acts 10. Over in Acts 16, the apostle Paul at night has a vision, and it, it's referred to as a vision, not a dream, uh, in which a Macedonian man, uh, a man of Europe, in other words, is, is uh, imploring him to leave um, Asia. He was uh, at that time in uh, what we now call Turkey, uh, uh, Asia Minor, and, um, and to come and share the good news of God's love in Europe, in Macedonia. And we call that the Macedonian call. And I've always read it as a dream, but as, as I was looking back over that, I realized, well, Luke doesn't call it a dream. And, and I think that, Val, to your question, why does Luke not call the, the uh, visit of the angel a dream and Matthew does? Mm-hmm. I think God probably treated uh, Mary and, and Joseph the same. <laughs> perhaps. Frankly, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. But, but uh, let, let's go to um, Matthew 1 and, and the, the, the first dream of, of Christmas. Wow, isn't that a beautiful one where he speaks to Joseph and, um, you know, again and again, dreams are to be hopeful and uplifting and do not be afraid. And I bring you good tidings. I bring you something that's powerful. And he's saying, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, Joseph. This is okay. Um, And And why, for people that didn't know, why was this important? Because... He had chosen to put her away quietly. Mm-hmm. Because, because she was pregnant. And he knew that it was not his child. And so consequently, the proper thing to do was to divorce her quietly. And even though they were not married, a betrothal was a signed agreement. And so therefore would be a legal divorce in order to break this betrothal. And so to do it quietly put her away but you know he could have had the penalty of having her stoned Hmm. thinking that she was pregnant and it wasn't his so the penalty could have been so harsh so in in the middle of this that was his intent um to just put her away quietly because he was a just man Mm -hmm. the text says he was a just man plus i think it's also let you know joseph was very aware that this was not his child. Mm-hmm. It, it, it says again and again, the Holy Spirit is, was that. So if you question the virgin birth, to me, this is more evidence that Joseph knew this was not his child. Mm-hmm. And without being too indelicate, he knew that it wasn't another man's child. That's right. He trusted Mary. Mm-hmm. He knew. Her. After the dream, he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's important. Only after the dream, Scott. I mean, that's the that's the deal. 
the power of that dream where the, the, the angels dream, spoke. The dream, the dream it, it, it's a dream that changes the course of, of Joseph's intentions. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish I could have direction like that in my dreams. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, big guy, a week from now. <laughs> well, 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 I had a well, dream what? this week that I think really uh, I would love directions. I was invited to dinner at the landing with a family, and it was a, a member of the congregation, her son and his wife and a group. And I have not met the son, mm-hmm. but we're all at the table. My dream the night before was that all of a sudden the son stands up and said, I'm now ready to take the offering. And I'm thinking, where did that come from? <laughs> the night before. The night before. So I'm I'm wondering, as a young man, um, looking at this dream, I'm obviously concerned about finances, and someone needs to say the offering. Is that it? Or... Is there some reality? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Well, I, Scott, I've had a, um, I've had a dream that I, I think was just about as clear as as Joseph's. I'd love and to hear so, it if you if yeah, you could share it with us. Jim Colleen, you mind hearing my dream? Go ahead, I'd love to. It was about twenty eight years ago. This is going to take some time. We got time. <laughs> <laughs> it was about twenty eight years ago. I was See, we like guests like you, Jimmy and Valerie, that, that have something to say, because the worst possible thing on a talk show Silence. is to ask a question and have the guest say, yeah, mm-hmm, and stop. You're right. quite, oh this is going to be and, a long uh, show. We have had guests like that. So. Uh, yeah, we won't ma- so mention their you guys names. are a blessing. Uh, well, gift of the gab. 28 years ago. 28 years ago. Uh, I was pastor for 31 years of the Presbyterian Church in Beatrice. Thank you. But when I was when I was pretty fresh at that job and a young man with black hair, um, I'd formed a very close relationship with a Lutheran pastor in Beatrice. Um, we were such good friends. Uh, we um, had a dining club um, with uh, several couples and uh, he was single. But uh, we invited a, a single gal to join us in that dining club, and, and we fixed food for each other. Um, eventually, uh, he asked me uh, to go to a continuing education event that his seminary was sponsoring in uh, Winter Park, Colorado. I uh, love Winter Park. In, in February. <clears throat> now, what, what might you also want to do besides study the Bible <laughs> if you were in Winter Park, Colorado? Ski, right. So, so what they did was they would have breakfast and then a class, and by ten o'clock you could be on the slope, <laughs> and then you get off the slope by four, back in class at uh, the uh, YMCA lodge there, and um, uh, have another class, have supper, have another class, and that was the way the week went. It was great. Anyway, we were very close. Um, about a year later, um, in, uh, I believe it was March, 
My friend died of an aortal aneurysm. God bless him. Um, I can't remember. He was 29 years old, I think. Pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the pallbearers. Uh, I was w- the only Presbyterian pallbearer at, uh, among the uh, other uh, the Lutheran pastors who were also asked to be pallbearers uh, for that service. And I really mourned losing Phil. One year to the date after his death, I was thinking a lot about him. And uh, I went to sleep that night, and I had a dream. And in the dream, I'm in bed in the back bedroom, which in that house, that's where my bedroom was. And I heard the doorbell. And I heard my spouse go to answer the doorbell. And I heard Phil's voice say, hello. And I was taken with this anger at Phil for faking his death. Sort of like um, Watson was angry with uh, Sherlock Holmes in The Return of Sherlock Holmes for... Uh, Sherlock faking his death and uh, I, I was stunned I, was gonna, I had to go give him a piece of my mind and tell him <laughs> look buddy you've pretended to be dead for a year you have made us all g- weep and grieve and this was not fair that was not funny you shouldn't have done that and I ran out there and oh well the person at the door wasn't Phil at all it was David, who was one of my best friends in seminary several years earlier. And so I invited David in, and uh, we sat down in the living room, and the dream kind of ended. So you, you heard the voice of your friend, uh-huh. and when you went out, expecting to see him... But it was, it in the was, dream, it was David. It was David. From years earlier. Mm-hmm. Now... And we'd been in seminary, what, it would have been about eight years before that that we graduated. And he went to a different part of the country. I told my spouse uh, about the dream at breakfast. And uh, then uh, that night, I was back at church at a meeting, as I usually was. Val knows how that goes. (laughs) Back at church. Always. And, um, excuse me, I'm going to have to cough. I'm getting over bronchitis. Excuse me. Um, Anyway, Scott, um, I was at a meeting, and the phone rang, and this was back in the time when phones were attached to the wall. My spouse answered it, and um, the voice on the other line was David's wife, Cheryl, and... She said to my spouse, this is Cheryl. And my spouse said, oh, no, something has happened to David, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. And he had died Mm -hmm. one year to the date after Phil. And you dreamed that he had come to your house the night before. Yeah, come to my house. Mm -hmm. And and Cheryl said, how did you know? And then she told Cheryl about the dream that I'd had. 
And reflecting on that dream, realizing that David had come to me in my that dream, or God had sent David to mm-hmm. me on that day, the anniversary of my other friend's death, mm-hmm. I was certain was God's way of telling me that my friends were all right, mm-hmm. that it was okay. Mm-hmm. It was very comforting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Folks, we heard yesterday uh, from my old buddy Dennis Taylor that Clyde Adams um, uh, passed away yesterday. And uh, I was <laughs> laughing about this in, in a way because um, if, you, if you picked a way to go out, or picked a date rather, uh, Clyde picked uh, the winter solstice. And... Uh, those that remember the early days of the show remember the friendly banter between Green Fields with Clyde Adams and Dennis Taylor and this show with Ray Boucher, my old buddy, and myself. And uh, Green Fields with Clyde did a whole show one day where they sort of uh, took us to task in a very friendly, satirical, <laughs> more than tongue-in-cheek way. And uh, I recently aired part of that recording that Jim probably remembers, that special show they did. Uh, So all of us uh, send uh, Clyde's wife, Bonnie, our very best and uh, wish Clyde well in his his next journey. That was a very meaningful story that you shared there. I'm just always amazed, always amazed at the synchronicity with the the, the meaning, our, our dates that are important, and how God shows up. Wowie zowie. Wowie zowie. That's right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I think, I think, folks, it's so important for you guys and gals out here to hear stories like this. Because we don't normally get a chance to talk about these things at the coffee pot or at the water machine in the office. And I think these really inform and fill out... Um, our existence. It helps to really further define who we are. Uh, this is the other reality that is at work that we typically don't acknowledge when we're going to the grocery store and when we're going out to dinner with our, our family and things. This so many is, unseen realities. Yeah. yeah. You know, Scott, as a pastor, I hear frequently about visitations of a, lo- of a loved one. And it, I do believe it's God's way of mm. comforting as only God can comfort, that those visitations or appearances somehow uh, by what I would say an angel, a messenger of God Mm -hmm. to come to us in a dream or at at an airport or a restaurant and you turn and you see, you know, is that not God's comfort and God's way of letting us know that I can take care of them even when perhaps you cannot. Mm. You know, God's messages to us and so often it is in a dream, I believe. I hear that frequently as a pastor. Mm-hmm. We've had a, a many authors that have talked about their collecting stories, personal accounts of people that have had um, uh, visitations. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Bill and Judy Guggenheim, their book, Hello from Heaven, that um, has, I believe, over 3,000 accounts of after-death communication. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes it goes beyond the, 
I'm okay, you're okay, we're all going to be okay, platitudes that you might expect, and sometimes they're very direct, you know. Um, that portion of the will that you're looking for, go down in the basement and look <laughs> in the bottom of the filing cabinet underneath the ledger. <laughs> and so they do, and they find the missing part of the will they've been looking for. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. I hope you folks are enjoying the show. This is um, Reverend's Dr. Uh, uh, Valerie Putnam, and uh, also from Westminster, uh, Reverend Dr. Jimmy Shelbourne. And the website is Webster, or excuse me, WestminsterLincoln.com, and it has a full range of activities uh, of the church, including the Christmas Eve schedules, services at 3, 5, 7, and 9. And uh, if you want to come to the 9 o'clock service, I'm the big guy down front with a Hawaiian shirt, and I'll save you a seat. Should we go on with Christmas? We, we got one of the dreams of Christmas, but... Uh, we, there's more. There's more. But there are more. That, go ahead. Well, <clears throat> of course, uh, Joseph does take Mary to be his wife, but um, we have visitors, and the time frame uh, could be maybe two years that um, Mary and Joseph are living in a house and um, uh, from details in the story, uh, when uh, King Herod ascertains when the uh, star appeared, uh, then his vile intentions are, are meted out on uh, children under the age of two. So presumably the Magi took a long time. They, they know, you know, they meet in our creches on our mantles and our living room tables, <laughs> the wise men and the shepherds. But in the Bible, they do, they do not meet. Uh, yet, um, there's a sense in which, because they represent such f- different ends of humanity, the shepherds, poor, uneducated uh, uh, Jews, who, who had the, the worst job you could possibly have, sleeping on the hills with sheep. Uh, come on. What little boy wants to grow up to do that? Anyway, and these uh, magi who were uh, uh, well-educated astrologers from Persia probably, uh, men of means, uh, the gifts they give, and uh, so they they represent the opposite ends of of, uh, society. And so, in a sense, because those are the bookends uh, who, who worship the baby Jesus, then all of us are included in the call to be among those who come and adore, mm-hmm. you know. But to get to get to the text itself, after the Magi have come and adored and given Jesus those gifts, um, they uh, were warned in a dream, Matthew 2.12, warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and they left for their own country by another road. And uh, here again, the dream is prescient because it it tells them basically what Herod was about to do, vile intentions, the massacre of the innocents. And uh, uh, so he's he's um, the 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 magi uh, do not go back to Herod. and uh, they they depart. And uh, it, that, uh, Herod is infuriated, of course, by that. Hmm. 
Um, and then God says to Joseph... He mourned of the same thing, of Herod's mm -hmm. vile intentions. Mm -hmm. And so Joseph is told... Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. And Joseph once again pays attention. Pays attention. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, warnings are heeded and sometimes warnings are not. Pontius Pilate didn't heed his wife's uh, dream that was a warning. Years ago, my then wife and I had a successful business <laughs> for a while, and we were considering expanding to Omaha. And our thought was we would open a second store in Omaha, and then we would move to Ashland and live about 25 miles away from either place. And we could kind of alternate and drive to one or the other, and, you know, she would work one and I would work the other. And so we went up and looked at a space in Omaha and did all the business calculations, and, and it looked like it was a good space, although it was kind of on the backside of the old market. And you know how important it is when you've got a big tourist uh, destination that if you're just one block away, <laughs> that's as good as a mile away. Mm -hmm. So it looked okay financially, but I said, why don't we just take a week and let's just ask our dreams and think about this. You know what happened to me for a week? Almost every night I had dreams of being chased. I would wake up almost perspiring, panting, and these were not pleasant at all. So I, I sat quietly in prayer and I said, I wonder what's going on here. And my sense was that I was being told to not do this second store. To run. <laughs> to run. And once I made that decision, Jimmy and Valerie, it was like a weight sprang off my shoulders. I had my, my step back. And I had your my dream life returned my to a much settled. That's right. I didn't have those dreams anymore. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. th that certainly isn't of the same scope and immensity as this dream that, that Joseph had where he's told, you know, you better get out of town because they're coming for you and they're coming for Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, going back to Christmas and the bookends, the first announcement of Jesus' birth was to those shepherds out in the field. Mm -hmm. These poor men who society looked down upon because they could not remain ceremonially clean. They were, they were um, not pure according to the Jewish law. And that's who got the first birth announcement mm -hmm. to go. And the other bookend are the learned, the wise men. Mm -hmm. so you're right. Talk about bookends. The opposite. Everyone is included. And we're and all someplace in between those two bookends. Yes. And yes. We, all, we all should kneel and adore. How true. There was a, a really fun, a fun Facebook meme going around saying that, that uh, we are all innkeepers to decide if there is room for Jesus. I like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do you want to do anything, Jimmy and Valerie, before we take the bottom of our break? Or do you want to do the break now? We'll do the break. Okay. And then we'll talk when we get back. Jim knows that at 12 o'clock, we've got Vic coming up mm -hmm. with... Mesoterra. Mesoterra. A fun music program. Fun, Boy, it's fun, just fun. it's a blast to, to leave the station here and kick on KZM and listen to his program. Um, and, of course, I don't know about Jim, but I'm usually singing along to a lot of the quite, songs of the car. Quite, quite often, yeah. 
Um, so he's come up at 12 noon here. Next week's guest on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena is our friend Carol Fleet. And we'll be talking about a new year, a new you. And it's going to be a, a great program. Practical things. Not airy-fairy stuff about making those New Year's resolutions that never hold, hold fast. Practical things that we can think about as well as uh, if you are widowed or single, uh, one of the biggest events coming up is something that you may not approach with the same vigor as other people. And uh, so how to basically do, do the holidays? Uh, our special friend Carol Fleet coming up next week. I'm Scott Colborn. We've got Coley Newholly in the house. And Coley, it's so great to have you back. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I'll always come back as much as I possibly can. <laughs> you are always welcome. Jim Shorty, I hope you're playing some guitar at home. Oh, yeah. Okay. Our special guests, uh, Reverend Dr. Jimmy Shelbourne, Reverend Dr. Valerie Putnam from Westminster. And you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena, and we'll be right back after this. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bay, the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and the Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. Saturday, December 22nd brings a totally 80s Christmas dance party to the Bourbon Theater beginning at 9. And Gabe with Pants plays the Zoo Bar at 6. That's all happening this week in Lincoln. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
Music from Enigma, catch them around southeast Nebraska. They're the official music for exploring unexplained phenomena. And it's sure great to have you folks with us. We've got about 20 minutes left on the show. With us in studio here is Reverend Dr. Jimmy Shelbourne, Associate Pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church, and Reverend Dr. Valerie Putnam, the uh, interim uh, pastor and minister at Westminster, uh, for a whole list of their activities on Christmas Eve, go to westminsterlincoln.org. And how many, how many services are you getting ready for? Let's see, we will have four on four. Christmas Eve, three tomorrow. We've just got seven in the next couple of days to right. get through. That's all. That's all. That's all. Mm-hmm. I think you guys, wow. I, I read a, was it Thursday, I read a post by our friend Jim Keck from First Plymouth. And he had this look on in a in a photograph of you know the deer in the headlights. He said that he was just realized they were doing fifteen. I think oh my! So. Yes, <laughs> yes. Woo. Okay, where where are we? Do we do we turn to the beginning to Genesis? Let's do. Let's go back to Genesis and to the quintessential dreamer, Joseph. Mm. Goodness, goodness! You know, even from a young man. This man had a, an ability to interpret dreams. Did, did God give him that special ability to interpret dreams? Even though he says that he does not interpret, um, that interpretation belongs to God alone. Mm-hmm. Joseph would be the first to say that. He just happens to be the medium by which he can express that. Aren't all our gifts gifts from God? How true. How true. But, you know, Joseph finds himself in prison and... You know, suddenly there is this dream. Well, it even goes before then. But a cupbearer comes to him and asks him about a dream. And these are strange dreams. A dream where there were three branches and it buds and blossoms and what have you. And uh, suddenly there are grapes and they're pressed and there's the wine. And Joseph is not afraid to interpret it. He says, yes, in three days, there's something going to happen. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to an office, and he will place the cup in your hand because he was the cupbearer, and you will no longer be in prison. Wow, that was a dream of hope and a, a great dream. But then suddenly the chief baker comes to him and says, well, I had a dream too, and it's it's a interesting dream. There was three cake baskets on my head and suddenly the birds came and, and started picking out uh, eating the from the baskets. And Joseph says, well, I'm, hate, I hate to tell you, but your dream is not quite as positive that in three days you will be hanged. And um, the chief cupbearer um, will be set free but you will experience death. And that's exactly what happened. And so suddenly the cupbearer goes before Pharaoh and, and but forgets all about Joseph. Well, Joseph asks, asks him, when you get to Pharaoh's house, you remember me, right? But, but, oh, oh he forgot. He forgot. He, forgot. He, he was so caught up in himself and what was that he was now free. Her, her, um, many of us. But, but suddenly Pharaoh has a dream. And... Uh, no one can interpret it, even though he's calling all of the uh, dream interpreters throughout the land to come and explain this dream. But then the cupbearer says, oh, I know of a man that's still in prison that can interpret dreams. 
And so Joseph is brought before Pharaoh to interpret a dream, this young Hebrew. Um, and so he goes before Pharaoh and he interprets his dream and his dream of being that there would be six years of, pl seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And that's exactly what happened. And so the interesting thing, Pharaoh believed Joseph's interpretation and put him in charge of everything so that the seven years of plenty, they could store everything because knowing that his dream's probably going to happen and there will be seven lean years. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what happened. That's exactly the way it played out. And they were wise and prudent yes. with, with that warning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. I said when we first began that I don't think um, that our uh, prescient dreams are blueprints of an immutable fate that is going to be pressed down upon us. It gives us the opportunity to do something with it, uh, to, to discern uh, what God's will for us is. And uh, in this case, uh, they, they chose wisely. You know, Presbyterians sometimes are, are accused of being fatalists, uh, the, 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 as if uh, every, every little thing that happens is 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 this uh, already uh, set before the foundations of the earth, and that is not at all what uh, the uh, the father of Presbyterianism, John Calvin, mm -hmm. taught at all. He said God has providential care for us, but one of the one of the tools of God's providence is our own discernment, our own reckoning our own ability to weigh the risks and to be cautious. So, you know, if there's somebody, um, and I, he I heard that um, there were soldiers in, um, sometimes in North Africa who preferred not to wear the steel helmet uh, when, during World War II because it was hot. Oh, yeah. And they'd rather wear a sun helmet, you know, just keep the sun off rather than this hot steel helmet. And a lot of them were fatalists. They said, well, if there's a bullet out there with my name on it, there's nothing I can do about it anyway. Funny thing, those that wore the steel helmets have a lower uh, incidence of, of being killed on the battlefield uh, because they're using their due prudence as God intended us to do. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's, not, it's not something that's set down in, in stone. Um, so many times in those those uh, uh, days of old, uh, people, society played, I think, uh, 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 paid a, a greater respect and reverence to dreams. They really recognized oh, that that sure. was a guidance uh, from God. And so you just talked about in Genesis, uh, Pharaoh saying, you know, who's, who's really good at that? Oh, that guy. And even though he's in prison... Bring him over here. And he was only a 30-year-old whippersnapper. He yeah. was awfully young to have that position. Mm -hmm. Colleen, can I ask you to enter the conversation here? Uh, and I don't want to always typecast you, my friend, uh -huh. but I think that your input is, is important, too. Um, we have many ways of looking at this guidance that we get. Mm -hmm. And also, we have perhaps a responsibility to pay attention to the guidance we get through dreams. Mm -hmm. What's been your experience through uh, the Lakota tradition? 
Well, generally, uh, I think from a young age, a lot of us who are, you know, traditional, and right now I want to make a distinction between the traditionalists and those that subscribe to Catholicism, because my my tribe has been heavily influenced by the Catholics um, because of colonization, and right now there's an incredible disparity between the, the Catholics and the traditionalists, because the traditionalists are few and far between, and they're always under some attack by the Catholics at the moment, um, the Catholic tribal members. Uh, but that doesn't always mean that just because they're Catholic, they don't have some sense of our old traditions. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that I grew up with is that um, if you're if you're having any sort of dream that you know, as as most people would say, like like there might be involve some sort of future event or some sort of knowledge or whatever, it's okay to talk about it. You know, it's it's freely shared especially with um, somebody older than you, whether that's grandparents or uncles, somebody who, who's older and might be more aware of uh, what the traditions have always been. And usually, um, depending on the family, sometimes that'll involve ceremonies, you know, whether that's sweat or, um, <clears throat> or more, uh, more of a different type of ceremony that I'm not free to talk about because I have not been initiated in into the process. So the Lakota tradition is that there's uh, a respect paid to dreams mm-hmm. and to the guidance. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one way that that people get that connection to the creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is, and uh, one thing is that um, there's always going to be interpreters there, uh, usually in the form of med- our medicine people. Mm. Um, uh, but usually it's you know any dream that you might that you have that might be of some significance should be shared, especially if it might consider something that uh is detrimental to not only your family but also your tribe. your community as a whole yeah mm-hmm. um one of the most significant dreams actually comes from uh uh my ancestor sitting bull was he had this dream of where the soldiers were you know, these white soldiers were falling from the sky. They were raining down on, upon the people and were ready to decimate them. So what he did was that he gathered all these other tribal leaders into one area and said, we need to make our last stand here because this is incredibly important. We need to defend our people and their way of life. And thus what had happened was, you know, the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of, because of Sitting Bull's vision, um, uh, the tribes involved managed to spread themselves out in such a way where Custer was not—he he was not able to discern where everybody was at, and not only that, um, he foolishly split his companies apart, mm-hmm. and thus uh, the Seventh Cavalry was defeated. Back in, uh, let me guess here—I think it was in 1986. I mm-hmm. visited the the. Uh, uh, Memorial there, the mm-hmm. uh, at Little Bighorn, and we had a, a incredible experience. We had a, a Native American park ranger who helped us on our tour, and she said, "You've all heard the uh, white or the European side of the battle. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to hear the Native American side, um, what we've been told and what our tradition is." 
And so I was, as a kid, I was kind of a Custer little bighorn scholar. Mm -hmm. I read all the books as a boy, you know, 12, 14 years old. And this was incredibly interesting to hear her side and the Native American side of the why and how it all came together and, and incredibly fascinating. Yeah, and we don't we don't call it uh, Little Bighorn either. We call it Greasy Grass because that's, uh, sure. you know, that's the term for the type of grass that was mm-hmm. growing around there at the time. And, and really, um, the only negative effect was that systematically afterwards, all the leaders that were involved in that uh, battle were systematically hunted down and assassinated mm-hmm. by the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. That includes um, Sitting Bull himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think over the last few decades, there has been some significant dreams, but nothing as significant as that big, simply because there's not enough, you know, traditional people, at least here in the United States, that have that capability to uh, make discernments like that. In Canada, um, a lot of the, the people who've escaped there managed to hang on to a lot of it. So Canada, Canada's situation is very different, and I really can't speak upon any of the tribes mm-hmm. in Central and South America because, you know, there really hasn't been too much communication. Well, anymore. young lady, I am so grateful to have you with the program and our association with you, and I hope you keep listening to your dreams. Yeah. And uh, if you folks ever have a chance to see her artwork, Colleen is an incredible artist. Wowie zowie. Yeah, very good. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Valerie Putnam and Reverend Dr. Jimmy Shelbourne. We're winding the program down. We've got about five minutes here. So what do we, what do we want to do in five minutes? Well, <clears throat> just as a follow-up to Colleen, I, I grew up in Broken Bow in Custer County. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just as, just as modern sensibilities are removing certain monuments in the South uh, related to the Civil War, I, I would like to see the county in the center of Nebraska renamed because we now know that Custer was no hero. No. You know. And why, why would we have a county named after him? That blows me away. But I, there, there's, there's uh, this one thing about Jacob's vow, and we covered the dream of Jacob and, while sleeping on a rock uh, a while ago. But um, when, when Jacob makes his vow, he says, If God will be with me and keep me in the way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, will be God's house, the Ebenezer, as Val pointed out. But I I want to focus on bread to eat and clothing to wear. You know... We're, we're talking about these these dreams and about God sending messages to us in dreams which seem uh, extraordinary. But you know, I also want us and I want our listeners to know that what I think uh, where, where God is is just as present is in the ordinary. In the ordinary, well, good, bread good bread point. to eat, bread to eat, and clothing to wear. What do you think of that, Val? That's pretty powerful. You know, as we look at dreams, as we look at God's presence with us, um, I look at God's prevenient grace, grace that goes ahead of us, mm-hmm. cares for us, um, supports us, nurtures us in so many ways. 
and so often I see people uh, Christmas Eve in worship. It's such a wonderful time for a pastor. And you look out in that congregation and you think, I've been your pastor for some time now. I know perhaps your stories quite well. And I see your children and your children's children. I see a couple who wanted a child and, and a child is coming. I see a wayward child home with mom and dad. I see someone that had, was near death earlier and they're sitting there in worship. And as we look at that and we see and seeing Silent Night and Joy to the World, and we realize that God's grace continues and that worship service is so powerful. It, it is um, almost an out-of-body experience mm -hmm. to be able to sit there and have the lights, the music, the, the opportunity to bask in the grace of God and know that we go forth with such hope from that moment. So Merry Christmas. Christmas Eve to me is just that. Couldn't say it better. You've been listening to a conversation with Reverend Doctors Jimmy Shelbourne and Reverend Doctor Valerie Putnam, both from Westminster Presbyterian Church. The website is westminsterlincoln.org, and uh, four services for Christmas Eve. There, you'll see that on the website, westminsterlincoln.org. Um, Colleen, what are you doing here for this weekend and for Christmas? Um. Just mostly staying home at the moment. Uh, we don't have anything big planned for Christmas. Mm -hmm. We might be going to the Unitarian Church on Christmas Eve for their services because we have a friend who has invited us, and they're like, yeah, come eat with us and, you know, stuff like that. So we're considering going, and I know my mom wants to find out if there's, um, like, maybe one of the cathedrals or something we can go to for their uh hymnal services because she really likes the style of singing oh yeah well so. hey nine o'clock at westminster that's a great one to come to mm -hmm. and uh, you know me i'll be down front there that's where the action is so you're welcome to uh merry christmas colleen yeah. it's great to have you here yeah merry christmas to you too jim shorty what are you doing i like colleen i'm pretty much gonna stay stay around home not stray too far mm -hmm. Uh, stay out of the traffic and the general madness that goes on on the highways and in the stores and whatnot during this time and just enjoy the season, enjoy the weather, enjoy nature. And play guitar. Yeah, yeah maybe a little. <laughs> um, uh, Valerie and Jimmy, thank you so much for taking time sure. from a really busy schedule. Thanks. Jimmy in particular, um, you're under the weather and uh, what a true soldier you are. Thank you so much for coming here. You're welcome. Okay. Um, I think there's going to be, in about five minutes, a great program of music coming your way. How do I know that? Because my friend Vic is in the house. And Mesotero is coming right up here in five minutes. And, and you know, the listeners can't see it, but Vic has this cool Santa hat on Ooh. today. <laughs> so we've got great programming here for you. Merry Christmas. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm Scott Colborn, and until next week, keep watching for those miracles.